We're all searching for stability or something that lasts. Streaming on Anchor FM Worldwide, Eternal Insight starts now. Here's Anthony Marinese. Hello and welcome all to this episode of Eternal Insight. This is episode two and I am your host, Anthony Marinese. It's so good to have all of you back listening with us today especially those joining us on the Anchor FM streaming platform uh, online and throughout the world. Um, You can listen to our radio broadcast later on podcasts, either on uh, the Apple platform or on the Google Play platform. We want to remind you, in case you've forgotten, Eternal Insight is a show about living now in the life to come, saying goodbye to all that is temporary, and finally laying hold to what is promised, what endures, and what gives us life to its fullest. Before we begin today, we want to just remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at Insight underscore Eternal, and also you can email us uh, questions, you can uh, tweet us those questions via that platform, uh, via Twitter, or again, our email address, eternalinsightpm at secretary.net, where you can send us questions or other insights of your own that could possibly be featured on future shows. Um, So this is just some important information for you to remember before we jump right in to our content today. And as we normally do, we want to begin our episode today with our quote of the day. And this quote of the day comes from the brilliant theologian St. John Chrysostom, who speaks so eloquently, he was called the golden-mouthed preacher after all, and the topic that we're talking about today is prayer, and he speaks about prayer in this quote. Here's John Chrysostom. Prayer is the place of refuge for every worry, a foundation for cheerfulness, a source of constant happiness, a protection against sadness. Thank you for those great words, St. John. And so now we are going to jump directly into our content today. I want you to know that our guest is an entrepreneur with experience in construction, not-for-profit management, and retail. Pro-life and pro-woman from Memphis, Tennessee, she led and managed the local 40 Days for Life campaign, watching it grow from 5 to 1,000 people mobilized in prayer with over 50 lives being spared from abortions. She became the youngest campaign director in the organization's history and is an advisory board member for the Children of the Immaculate Heart a not-for-profit that she helped to start in 2013 to serve victims of human trafficking in the San Diego area and throughout the country. She is co-owner and manager of the largest Catholic supply store in the Mid-South called St. Paul Book and Gift Store and is a graduate of the John Paul the Great Catholic University where she studied business, the new evangelization, and biblical theology. With pleasure, we happily welcome, for the first time to Eternal Insight, Miss Devany Marie Cooper. Devany, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Oh, Anthony, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you accepted our invitation to come and talk to us today about prayer. Uh, we know that this is such a central uh, value in the Christian life, and, um, you know, a lot of uh, individuals think that, you know, prayer or various Christian spiritual topics are better left um, discussed by religious leaders, uh, pastors, ministers, priests, uh, things like that. But I think what's most important is to get the, uh, the pulse of the church. And the pulse of the church actually comes from the laity. Uh, and so with all that you've been engaged in, especially uh, all that we just read out and all of your, your wonderful accomplishments and the things that you um, have done and continue to do, um, we know that prayer uh, has to be something that uh, sort of cements your day together. It has to be uh, that facet of your life which which sort of makes this impenetrable fortress with which you continue to carry out these activities. Um, so that's why we kind of want to, you know, we, we invited you today to talk about this because, again, the laity, um, the people that make up the church, well, there cannot be a church without without the laity, without people to fill the the congregation. So we definitely wanted to take your pulse on this, since you are the pulse of the church. Um, one of the things that we sort of want to begin with when we are talking about prayer today 
um, is sort of the source of prayer uh, and where it comes from. Obviously, uh, prayer transcends our physical life to a certain degree. Um, in Neoplatonism and in Gnosticism, basically, uh, we've learned that the, the body and the soul were sort of placed at odds with each other in a way, um, at least for those um, sort of heretical sects. Uh, ultimately, the spirit was thought to be imprisoned within the body and had to be ultimately set free. And so, you know, for this reason, you know, Socrates, you know, gladly welcomes the, the, the hemlock, you know, basically, because he, he considered that sort of the ultimate liberation. But in Christianity, we still believe that there's this tie-in, there's this uh, inextricable bounding up, or bounding together of, of both the body and the soul. But even then, really only the soul is capable of perseverance into eternity. So we just sort of wanted to see what your thought was about how prayer plays into this relation to the eternality of souls. Do you have any comment on that? Yes, yeah, so I'm so excited we're talking about prayer uh, because it is, I love how one of the Teresas defines it. She says, it is this conversation, it's a simple conversation with your friend. And when I was thinking about um, prayer and why we do it, as we were talking about, you had mentioned a little bit earlier, if we did not pray, we did not have this conversation with or who should, who should essentially be our best friend, Jesus Christ, then all that we do is simply social work. And, and it's social work, you, you have burnouts. It, there's no, it's, 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 it's not enough. And I don't just want to live for a cause. I want to live for a person. And it, we want to live to, to know love, to know that person of Jesus Christ. What role does prayer play in relation to the eternality of our souls? Well, we were made for life-giving, self-giving love. Every single one of us, body and soul. We do not. We were not just made soul for life-giving, self-giving love. We were made to give ourselves bodily, life-giving, self-giving love, and that is our end. And we do that in various. Like there's, we talk about vocations in the church. We consecrate ourselves to another person, or we consecrate ourselves to the church. But we do give ourselves body and soul to another being and then there's that supernatural reality of giving ourselves to God and him receiving and then also actively giving himself to us and I love we have a, a mutual love of Saint Benedict and Absolutely. he says Absolutely. that you to, to give yourself body and soul to our Lord you can do that through prayer and work and work is something that's laborious. It's something you do with your body. Like, we are not Gnostics. We are not, uh, we don't just believe that everything about the body is, is bad. Even the work we do can be prayer. Prayer is all-consuming. And it's, it's how we give ourselves um, body and soul to this other person who is Jesus Christ. And he is the most important person in the world. And the whole world needs to know about it, which is why... We're sitting here talking about the importance of it. Absolutely. Uh, for those of you in listening land, uh, we found out uh, this morning that uh, we we share a uh, similar birthday, uh, July 11th, which is the the feast of Saint Benedict. So we had to we had to throw out a, uh, a special shout out there to our uh, our our birthday patron. Uh, and moreover, I, I'm also an oblate of Saint Benedict, affiliated with uh, Saint Bernard Abbey in Coleman, Alabama. So hello to all of you listening. Um, we wanted to, you know, mention that. I know Devaney mentioned that um, beautifully about that integration of prayer and work, uh, even such that work could be uh, a form of prayer. And of course, there there are a, a number of ways that prayer takes different forms. Um, a lot of the work that I do um, as a theologian in sports spirituality has also come full circle into my own life. There are times when I'll. Uh, go biking or go for a run, and it's just sweltering outside or ridiculously, ridiculously difficult. Um, yesterday, um, I have two people in my life who are going through some health issues, and I had to uh, conquer a 12-and-a-half-mile bike ride. Uh, even though it was evening, it was still, you know, 85 degrees outside, and it was just awful. My legs were already tight from a previous workout, and I, and I said to myself, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer up every suffering from this bike ride today 
as a continual prayer for each moment of the suffering. That is a prayer leaping forth from my heart, uh, hopefully as an intercession for these people that I that I hope um, the Lord will heal and and continue to make better. So I mean, these are I mean, work, um, and of course that is its own form of work: um, physical activity, sports activity. Prayer takes on several different forms, as we've just mentioned, but there are also different types. And I, I suppose we could be nitpicky for a second and um, talk about the difference between form and type uh, if we really wanted to get into sort of ancient philosophical texts and things like that. But we won't do that. We'll just assume that um, it's understood that a form and a type of prayer are different things. Um, for those of you also listening and, and hear our wonderful sound effects in the background today, uh, we thought this would be an added joy um, to you uh, simply because we are broadcasting on location today. We are actually broadcasting at the St. Paul Book and Gift Store uh, that Devaney co-owns. And uh, we just thought that it would be a, a, very, uh, a very nice little touch. And we hope, we hope, to, do some more, uh, we hope to do some more on location shows as we continue to go on. Um, but nevertheless, we want to sort of return to our topic um, off of that aside, and that is discussing um, the types of prayer next, um, of which there are actually four. See, a lot of people think that it's very simple, that, you know, you, you fold your hands together, you close your eyes, and you speak from the heart. Um, these things are, um, of course, not necessarily the only ways in which people pray. Um, we pray on our knees. We can pray... Uh, in simple silence, we can play, play, listen to me, we can pray uh, when we're simply laying down trying to be at rest. Um, these are, of course, ways that we can, but there are different types of prayer in the sense that they mean different things. Um, if we think for moments in Christian history, especially in the Old Testament, you know, we see prayers that are laments, if we think of the book of Job, that whole book where um, he is constantly asking God, you know, what are you, what are you doing to me? You're, you're basically killing me here with all of these illnesses and diseases and taking of my family. So that prayer was, was a lament. So the four types of prayer that we want to sort of outline for you um, are thanksgiving, and that's what God has given and done to us and we're thankful for, so we thank God. We have prayers of adoration where we praise God just for being God because that's already an awesome uh, feat that uh, guarantee there's no one else that can actually achieve that feat. Um, prayers of petition which ask God for our wants and needs including our need for forgiveness. And then of course intercession which is asking for God's help on behalf of others. And so, Devaney, I wanted to ask you... Um, Considering these four different types of prayer, which one would you say is the most underutilized um, among faithful persons today, and maybe why do you think that is? Yeah, so this would be like a really personal opinion, um, that kind of question. Uh, and I am just a shop girl, so it's not like I have an incredible amount of authority, and I think the catechism even probably answers this question. Um, but when I first heard it, I thought, when I heard you ask this, I thought, well, of the situation and the scriptures where Jesus is uh, describing these lepers or the story where the, the t he heals these lepers, a uh, 10 of them, I think, is there 10 or 11? And only one comes back. And he says, where are the other ones? Like, I healed them too. And I, I think we, we do do a lot of intercessory prayer and um, praise and adoration. Um, but Thanksgiving, how often do we... Do we thank our Lord? I love this. I've been meditating a lot on, it's called the Testimony of St. Bernadette. Have you ever heard of it, Anthony? I've not, actually. It's really beautiful. There's debate over whether she wrote it or not. But it's, uh, it's just beautiful and edifying no matter if she did or did not. It's based on her life. And it's, in, it's supposedly her. And she is praying to our Lord and our Lady. And she says, I thank you for the poverty that I grew up in. I thank you for the time... Uh, that my father came and he called me Sister Marie Bernard instead of my little Bernadette. I thank you for the time that father yelled at me. I thank you for what everyone said. Is this all there is to her? I thank you that everyone says, oh, how glad I am I'm not Bernadette. And she just thanks her. She says, I thank you for the times you came, the times you didn't come. And it's just this thanksgiving 
oblation almost of, of everything. And how many times do we sit down and we're, we're, we're grateful to our Lord for the good, the bad, whatever you want. I love this story that St. Therese uh, tells Jesus. She says, I want to be like your little toy, like your little ball, and your little baby Jesus. And you pick it up, and sometimes you play with me. And sometimes I just fall under the bed, and I'm left there for a while. And that contentment, that, that kind of gratefulness, that kind of thanksgiving, uh, I do think we lack that a little bit. But then, as I was meditating on that, I also thought, well, the Mass itself, Eucharistia, is Thanksgiving. And how faithful I see the, the people of the Church being in going to daily Mass and, and the love of the Eucharist. And so it's a, it's a difficult question, and perhaps it's something for us to meditate on personally for each of us. Where in the, that adoration, in that Thanksgiving, in that petition and supplication and contrition being sorrowful for our sins, which of which in these four types of prayer do we personally um, fall short a little bit, or perhaps don't say thank you to our Lord or don't say sorry? And then I was also thinking too, perhaps it is contrition. There was there's this movement called um, CL or Community and Liberation or Communio, and the founder of it says we encounter Jesus Christ in our sin. When we come to turn, when we are face to face with our sin, that is where we encounter He who is mercy, He who is love. And every time I go out in the world and I'm encountering just the people at the grocery store, people, or maybe people walk into the store from the bakery next door, the yoga studio across the mm -hmm. street, mm -hmm. and there's just a totally different mind view that because I guess I'm in Catholic bubbles sometimes, because I'm in a Catholic store all the time, <laughs> with Catholic people, Catholic topics, um, I kind of forget of how the state of our world. And so many people are oblivious to their own sin mm -hmm. and to the sin around us. How prevalent is relativism? How prevalent is hedonism? This, this love and idea that pleasure is what we live for. And, and there would not be a call for the new evangelization or really to have an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ if we had not forgotten him. And we would not have forgotten him if we had acknowledged our sin Truth. and forgotten our need for him. So perhaps it's not Thanksgiving. Perhaps it's contrition. I don't know. It's it's something to think about, and that's a very personal question for each of us, probably. In in a way, uh, I have to wonder, um, and and maybe you'll shed some insight on this, Devaney. Um, can Thanksgiving and contrition go together? And now the reason why I ask this, I feel like perhaps they perhaps they can, but one would precede the other. Perhaps contrition, uh, and then obviously realizing that God is God. Uh, and again, like we mentioned earlier, there's nobody else that can actually uh, accomplish that, that feat of being. Um, and because He is God, He has that capability not just to forgive our sins, but has sort of already accomplished that um, through the Paschal Mystery, through His life, death, and, and rising again. So I think in that way, maybe um, contrition and thanksgiving can, can go together. you have anything sort of to add on to that? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful reflection. And, I mean, the leper first has the leprosy. Right. And then he comes back and thanks our Lord. Right. He thanks our Lord. But even if he still has the leprosy afterward, he, it, it, I mean, St. Bernadette would thank, him for, like, thank our Lord for that. I mean, it's a beautiful reflection to you guys. For those that are not aware, um, St. Bernadette is St. Bernadette of Lourdes. Um, she is the visionary who um, was blessed to see the apparitions of Our Lady of Lourdes in uh, Massabielle, France. Um, oh, that was so well said, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I did. I'm fluent in it, actually. <laughs> fluent in so French. And, uh, but but uh, Massabielle was actually, um, basically, it was a... a, a, a landfill, basically, uh, in, in France. It was basically a um, repository for, uh, for garbage. So um, when, when Devaney mentioned um, that St. Bernadette says that she's thankful for her poverty, um, she and uh, her family, uh, which was a, a pretty large family, lived on the outskirts of uh, basically this, this landfill. And you know, her father worked uh, as a, a trash collector and would, would often visit this landfill and, and bring 
garbage there. And in fact, Our Lady chooses uh, the site of this where this garbage was for, for some time um, to actually have been the, the site where she um, appears to St. Bernadette. Um, and of course, um, St. Bernadette's writing that, that Devaney has also referenced, um, mentioning that it is a, this, this beautiful, beautiful soliloquy of thanksgiving um, is, is something to, to bear in mind and to bring to mind, that someone can believe and acknowledge that even in that sort of poverty, think about that, living basically in a garbage dump and being thankful for that. Uh, that, that is, <laughs> it is truly um, perspective-minded, that truly puts things into perspective. I mean, think about just where you're listening from right now. If it's in the car, if it's in your office, we won't tell anybody. If it's in your office, if it's in the car, if it's at home, if it's in a friend's home, you're in a shelter. You have a shelter. More than likely, you have heating or air. You have uh, probably a bottle of water or uh, Coca-Cola or something like that that you could go grab right now if you wanted it somehow. Wow. Just, just to be thankful for those types of things. I would have to agree with you that Thanksgiving is perhaps the most underutilized of the prayer forms. Um, as well, I, I think you make a great point about contrition, um, particularly of these, of these four types that we're taught in the Christian spiritual life, though. I would, I would have to agree that, that Thanksgiving is sorely underutilized. Yeah, I love how you point out the perspective she had. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, all of the sorrows, how does someone have that perspective? And I'm thinking in my heart, Lord, how do, what do I say? How does someone have that perspective? I mean, do we, that is a, that's, that's heroic, a heroic perspective. And what comes to mind is what von, Dietrich von Hildebrand, he was a philosopher um, in the 1930s, 1940s, great man, one of the, Benedict XVI, I think, said he was the greatest, one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century. And he had what his wife called the lenses of the supernatural to realize that we can be thankful for that poverty, thankful for the misunderstandings, thankful for the misinterpretations, thankful for the suffering, thankful for the sickness, thankful for it because we realize we have these lenses on and we realize that God is God. He is he who is, and I am she who is not. And even, like, existence is better than no existence at all. Indeed. And it's just, it's, it's wearing these lenses all the time, having a sacramental view of the world in which we live in. There's this great story, perhaps this is a little unrelated, but it's such a great story of von Hildebrand. He was a professor in Germany, and at the time he was teaching all these seminarians, and it was custom for the professor to enter in first because of his office in the classroom. And all of the priests and seminarians would follow and the stu other students. Well, von Hildebrand would stand up to the side and he would let his priests and his seminarians enter before him and his other professors would say, von Hildebrand, why are you doing that? That's ignorant. And he said, you, my friend, are not wearing the lenses of the supernatural. Hmm. These are the men that bring to me Jesus Christ. Their hands are anointed. I mean, and that is a small little example of wearing the lens of the supernatural, but to view everything in our lives, our bodies, um, the work we do, the getting dressed, how we present ourselves. So everything has, a, a, it's, it points, it foreshadows Him, our Lord, the eternal reality. And um, I think by having perhaps wearing these lenses, that's perhaps how we come with God's grace to a point where we can say, thank you, Lord, for the poverty. Thank you, Lord, for the sickness. It's beautiful. But it's hard to do. It's hard to do. <laughs> and it definitely is, comes from the grace of our Lord. I, I would have to agree. And I mean, it's, it's so beautiful. And, I, and it just sort of everyone sort of remember um, what Devaney said just a moment ago about these hands being anointed and him, uh, Von Hildebrand, referring to the seminarians and the and the priests in his class, that will come in handy as we continue to uh, talk here in a moment. So just sort of remember that uh, as we continue our, our little discussion about prayer. Um, you know, I was reading something the other day, uh, Devaney, I was doing research for, um, for a sort of an, a new little academic paper uh, project that I'm hoping to, uh, hoping to publish. It has a lot to do with uh, St. Benedict, the rule of St. Benedict, and sports spirituality, but, but this particular study uh, was conducted um, 
in, uh, in the medical field uh, was conducted on uh, the effects of prayer on physical healing, which uh, you would think the fact that in today's world that that got any credibility and, and actually led to a, an academic peer-reviewed publication uh, is just astronomically amazing uh, that that would, that would be even allowed to go forward today. And, but the, the study was actually on uh, recovering um, heart patients and their engagement or use of rosary beads, of the rosary, in terms of their healing. And what the study actually <laughs> revealed um, this is this is amazing. Is that individuals who prayed and not just prayed, but prayed with the rosary or the rosary beads, actually healed up to one and a half times swifter and stayed healed longer without any further complications than did those who utilized no prayer forms at all. And the only reason I, I bring this up is because. You know, we, we talk a great deal and have talked already a great deal about the great spiritual benefits of prayer. But, in fact, I think there are benefits beyond the spiritual. Uh, this study certainly shows that for some reason there is um, something beyond the spiritual that is linked to prayer. And um, we could chalk that up to the fact that God may be hearing and answering those prayers. And, of course, we certainly believe that He is. Um, others, um, such as the individuals who wrote the study, concluded that prayer um, in some way, shape, or form causes an alleviation of anxiety states. And so that in itself helped with their healing and helped keeping them uh, in good health after their illness in the first place. And I would have to agree with that. Um, you know, our, our life uh, is one that is lived holistically, so on the physical, emotional, intellectual, and the spiritual planes, of course. And we've talked a great deal about the importance of prayer and spirituality, but um, emotionally, obviously, like the study reveals, there's a reduction in anxiety states. Uh, that in itself, um, having reduced anxiety, hypertension, for example, which is high blood pressure, often caused by anxiety, um, can lead to better physical health, and then, of course, lest we forget, thank you, hat tip to Simone Weil, the great uh, spiritual philosopher, who um, basically pointed out that prayer cultivates attention and mindfulness. Um, it's very difficult sometimes for us to engage in prayer because maybe we might have a difficult time focusing. And, and Devaney, that really brings us to, to another question that we have for you, um, you know, I, I, in, in my years of theological study and even spiritual direction, um, I served as a chaplain for some years, uh, a lot of persons have, have told me that they've had difficulties praying, um, whether that be because of focus or because they just, they just don't feel like it or feel it. And what we mean by feel it is maybe feel a connection to God. Um, so, I don't know, what would you say to persons who want to pray, but maybe struggle to, to do so, to begin it, to initiate it, or to, to even bring it to completion? What, what advice would you give them? Sure. So before that, before I would offer any advice, I would say that I am a dwarf on the shoulder of giants. I, I work in a shop, and I, I read books of people who are much smarter than I and who, um, who have prayer lives that are much more advanced than I and are in stages of prayer such as the illuminative way or the unitive way much further than I am. So I would like to point to those giants first and and suggest that those who have these questions look to someone who is very, very learned. And so I just want to share a website uh, and a institute that I have become uh, really passionate about and I, I want to join this institute. It's called the Avila Institute and if you go to www.spiritualdirection.com I believe you can read articles all about this um, and they have some really um, insightful information because some people struggle in prayer because they suffer from something called a seedier or they suffer from the spiritual slothfulness. Some people struggle in prayer because relationships are a struggle. I mean to know love, you have to talk to love, and 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 if you Indeed. even Absolutely. if you're in a marriage relationship, like it's sometimes diff, there's a struggle. There's a it's difficult to bring yourself to give yourself to the other, and that's what prayer is. Um, 
a giving yourself to God and a sharing with Him. And that's just a natural struggle for all of us against like human concupiscence, which is selfish. And, and just a second ago, you had said it create prayer has been shown statistically and scientifically to improve ourselves. I couldn't help but think of St. Paul. He says to dwell on what is good, true, beautiful, and holy. He says if you want transformation, it comes through the renewal of your mind. Absolutely. A placing yes, yourself in the presence of God. A dwelling on what is good and beautiful. A selflessness that you find in giving yourself to he who is selflessness. To he who is love. And the struggle's real. It's not easy. We're human. We have concupiscence. So it could be that. But then also, people who are much more learned, um, from what I hear from the giants, is that there is this experience of what some call the dark night. Or what we associate with Mother Teresa or St. John of the Cross, where... They um, are like that little toy that has fallen under the bed. And it, they have a very intense relationship with Jesus Christ to the point where what they're feeling is nothingness and abandonment and really oneness with our Lord in the tabernacle who is abandoned and forgotten mm -hmm. and looked over and no, no consolation. Sometimes he goes, I looked for a place to lay my head and I found none. Mm -hmm. And how can we expect to constantly feel like we have a place to lay our head in our relationship with him. If we're coming closer and closer and closer to him, like St. Ignatius says, we are going to experience more suffering. We are going to feel, feel what he felt. I mean, the goal of prayer is union with him. Our Lord was a man of sorrow. He is a man of, he is a man of the resurrection. He is a man of the redemption. He is a man of the joy in the gospel. He is the kingdom of God. But he is also, there's a paradoxical reality that he is a man of sorrow. And that Our Lady, even being a virgin of joy and giving her Magnificat and everything, is Our Lady of sorrow. And suffering and difficulties are, are part of this life, unfortunately. We don't have the answer for them, but they show us how to live them. And it is to persevere and to unite ourselves with them. To persevere. So I don't know what the diagnosis is of the person who's asking this question. I don't know if it's a CD. I don't know if it's because they're a beginner in their spiritual life. I don't know if it's concupiscence. I don't know if they're going through the dark night. But what I would say is go to the giants at the Awful Institute and the Saints. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't go, or come to me and I'll, I'll give you those links. Um, but also, I would say persevere. Do not give up. Do not give up because... We are made for one purpose in this life, and that is to be saints. Life-giving, self-giving love, to heroically give ourselves to our Lord and to the world for the salvation of souls and the glory, glory of Him. To be, and that will bring us happiness and joy. That's the purpose. That's the end. The end is not consolation. The end is not an easy road. The end is not to avoid suffering. The end of this life is to be a saint. And the only way you are going to be a saint is to get to know he who is God. Like, you have to know him. I love this quote. One of my favorite books is The Soul of the Apostolate. Everyone should read The Soul of the Apostolate. And the devil's so tricky, he, you're going to start reading it, and you, he will try to convince you that this book is no good. He will try to convince you of a million other ways. It's going to be very, very difficult to get through because it is such a fruitful book. And in this book, there's a quote, and I'm going to share it with you. It says, if the priest, and, it, and even we're talking about just the, the regular layman, whoever it is, if the person is a saint, the saying goes, the people will be fervent. If the person is fervent, the people will be pious. If the people are pious, then their people who are under them will at least be decent. But if the priest or the person is only decent, the people they're instructing or encouraging will be godless. The spiritual generation is always one degree less intense than its life, in its life, than those who beget it in Christ. And I read this quote when I was um, in a really beautiful friendship. Like, I was living out in California with my friend Grace. And Grace is such a woman of God. She is so beautiful. She is so holy and so good. And I was realizing in my friendship with her... And all of our friends, like all of my friends were growing in holiness. <laughs> like we were all becoming more virtuous. We were all making more virtuous decisions. And I said, Lord, what is this girl doing to us? <laughs> like how, why is this happening? Why are we having this common growth in virtue? And there is something to be said for good community. But something that Grace was very intentional about was every day Grace makes a holy hour. Mm. 
And she would always invite us to a holy hour. She did not throw a feast day saint party without a holy hour. We didn't celebrate each other's birthdays without a holy hour. We'd, we'd all go to a holy hour for the person whose birthday it was. The holy hour in the Eucharist was central to her life. And because of that, Grace was not just fervent. Grace was a saint because she had encountered Christ who makes saints. Only Christ makes saints. Grace wasn't making us saints. Christ was making us saints. And she was pointing us toward the Eucharist. He who makes saints. The end in this life is saint, sanctity for the glory of God and salvation of souls. Go to him. He makes saints. Lead others to him. And do not get up from that chair. <laughs> Persevere. It's going to be hard. It is going to be really, really difficult. But keep persevering. Because that wins the race. That wins the race. Just keep telling yourself that. <laughs> She's channeling some inner St. Paul with her sports metaphors here. You know, I have competed well. I have kept the faith. And I have finished the race. Is what St. Paul says. Um, you know, as I was listening to your story, uh, especially uh, it's, it's especially evident that um, you have a... a profound and, and beautiful uh, respect for and friendship for um, your friend Grace, and I, was, and I was thinking as you were mentioning her and you were talking about her, um, it, you, you were mentioning that you all were having uh, such a great time, having great fun together, of course, I mean, you mentioned birthday parties and things like that, who doesn't love to celebrate? Um, you, you mentioned that she had sort of the, the idea, the, the whole face-to-face -face transformative uh, encounter with joy itself. Uh, that, is, that is the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And so to be able to have and see and experience joy, well, that the cup runneth over. Joy spilled out into all of your lives. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's truly a, a beautiful and incredible thing. Um, you know, one of the one of the other things that you mentioned too, on um, not quite as peppy a, a, a note, was that um, the Lord was, of course, the the person of the resurrection, the resurrection, and the life, and the hope which does not disappoint, obviously, but also was a a person of sorrow, and for for those of um, you who are listening uh, in in radio world. Um, we all have sorrows. I know that I've uh, certainly uh, experienced a, a few of them. Um, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure, I speak for Devaney when when I say that we all have experienced these. We all will experience these. This is not something that's simply going to uh, stop occurring. Um, nevertheless, these sorrows, though, reminded me of an encounter that I, I had with a. Uh, wonderful patient uh, that I was working with in hospital chaplaincy one day. Um, she and I got to talking uh, about prayer. She was having some trouble praying and um, you know she was asking me for for a little bit of guidance. You know, well, why am I having trouble praying? Well, I don't I don't know. Let's just talk about what your spiritual life is like. Well, I'm been, you know, in this hospital all the time and you know people keep telling me that when I pray uh, you know, it's not about me changing God or changing God's mind. It's about me changing myself. Prayer is not meant to change God. It's meant to change us. And then I saw it. That's what it was. I saw her facial expressions, her body language when she was talking about this. That's no less true, uh, even, even though she was having trouble accepting it. That is true. Prayer is meant to change us. But at the same time, I think we do a, a tremendous disservice to the sorrowful and to the suffering. Um, especially, I mean, the Lord understands this because you mentioned He is a man of sorrow and a man of suffering. He's embraced that. He embraced our human condition and utterly, utterly suffered worse than any human being ever could, bearing the weight of all of humanity's sin, past, present, and future, and utterly redeeming it by His suffering. Um, and so... I w as I was thinking about and talking to this patient, I sort of seized on what it was that was causing her difficulty in prayer. She thought that her prayers would be fruitless because they were only meant to change her and that she could have no effect on begging of God's compassion for her situation. She was thinking ultimately, well, if I'm praying to be healed and that's 
what you know God has in his mind that I'm not meant to be healed, then what's the point of this prayer in the first place? So, you know, as I was thinking about that, I did a little theological reflection of my own, uh, taking sort of into account things that I had been taught, experiences that I had, and I'm, I wrote up a very short little theological reflection that I kind of want to share now, not just with all of you listeners, but I'm going to, I'm going to share this with, with Devaney and, and get her pulse on this, get her uh, sort of reaction to this. Um, I, I said that I often see the phrase, prayer doesn't change God. Though from a theological perspective, I have to opine of another way. If, as Christian theology teaches us, God is a free being, vested with free will, like us, then he, like us, totally possesses that free will. He is in command of what choices to make. While his will may be superior to ours, it is not unlike ours. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to be made in the image and likeness of God. Christian theology also teaches that God can never do anything which contradicts his own nature. So if part of God's nature is that of a free being, then to say that our prayers cannot change his mind, his heart, his will, or even draw his compassion to us, well, that would demonstrate that God is not only not free, which already contradicts his nature, but also that he lacks compassion and mercy, which are two elements key in yet another divine attribute, his being all-loving. And so for that reason, I've always sort of maintained and will continue to maintain that, yes, prayer is meant to change us, and it does. But it also can and often does change God's means of hearing and answering our prayers. After all, it is our own Pope Francis, servant of the servants of God, who has written that the name of God itself is mercy. And so, Devaney, I just wanted to see maybe just not not just in your own experiences. You you love to you love to remind uh, our listeners, and I think that's a, a a beautiful expression of your humility that you're a you're a shop girl. But as we clearly demonstrated by your your um, introduction, so many good accomplishments. I think I think anyone who's listened to this broadcast would already um, already have in their mind that you are so much more than a shop girl. You are very learned and you are uh, very seasoned in the spiritual life. And I think that that's, um, that's hopefully one of the better compliments you'll get today. Uh, but at the same time, you do have you do have much to say and you do have great insight. So we want to get your insight on this idea. Um, if you were in that same sort of situation, um, faced with someone saying, well, you know, prayer's not about changing God's mind. It's only meant to affect a change in us. And having heard maybe the, the reflection that I offered, I wonder what you might say to, to this patient that I encountered. I would say that what you said is really, really beautifully said. <laughs> and I would hope that I could quote it as well as, <laughs> as, well as you said it. Um, that God is mercy, God is love. Um, and then I might share with them a story. Uh, first I'd tell them that Jesus too told us over and over again, come to my Father, come to me, you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. He wanted to give us rest before we went. But he wanted us to go and rest in him <laughs> and Absolutely. ask for that. And there was a situation where in one of the nonprofits I was working with, we had a financial need. And it was a really desperate need. <laughs> and I told our Lord months ago, when the need became apparent to me, Lord, you're going to need to take care of this. And it was coming down to the wire. And I had to meet with an attorney and take care of the financial need. And I was at Mass that morning, and I still did not have the financial need met. <laughs> and Jesus, I looked at Jesus after communion in my heart. I said, Lord, why have you not come through on this? <laughs> you said to tell you about this. You said you would take care of it. Like, I've entrusted myself to you. This is kind of your job. And he said, like, in my heart, like, I don't hear voices, but in my heart, you know, our Lord, just gently, he, he speaks to you. It's a conversation. Absolutely. And he says... Devaney, you never asked me for it. I said, Lord, I asked you for it. I had confidence that I didn't have to ask it again. I didn't want to be like a nagging wife, constantly, mm. where's my money? But, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that I only had to mention it once and that you would take care of it. I didn't think that I had to continually ask this of you. And he said, Devaney, just ask me. I said, Lord, I need that money. <laughs> and I need it, not even for my own 
like, cause. It's all for you. Like, <laughs> this is not so that I'm going to gain anything. This is for your glory. So you really need to provide. Please, please provide. By the end of the day, I had a very large donation. And it was totally providential. And I don't want to say that I, <laughs> I changed God's mind, because obviously he always intended my good. He always intended for it to work as it was going to work. But he wanted me to ask him to, to acknowledge that I, I need, I, I, to acknowledge my littleness, to acknowledge that I couldn't do anything. I don't know. I'm sure he was trying to teach me several lessons, but <laughs> the, the, the beauty of that story is, too, he loved me and all of my little wants and little needs, and he took care of everything, and he just wanted me to ask. And he says again and again in the gospel to go to the Father and ask. Go away and find rest to the Father. And even he shows as an example he would go off into the mountains all the time. And even when he's watching the apostles going under, and he's not moving from his place on the mountain, he's, he's just always withdrawing to find... God the Father, and he asks us to do the same, and all those four methods, to give adoration, to give thanksgiving, to give contrition, to give supplication and petition, um, and then also the example of Our Lady, and Our Lady, she get, at the wedding of Cana, she sees that the wine is, um, is gone, and she goes to our Lord, and she says they have no wine, and he says, well, what do you want me to do about that, like, what, what, <laughs> I, I, my time has not yet come, and she doesn't even say anything. She just has complete confidence in him that he is going to take care of every one of her needs. And she just looks at them. And it's not so much like a, a haughty, like, do whatever he tells you. It's a, I have complete trust in his love and his mercy toward me. Do whatever he tells you. And, and so I would encourage them to continue to persevere and to trust that, yes, our Lord is a Lord of mercy. And our Lord is a Lord of love, and He is concerned with every single aspect of your life. And He wants to answer every petition that is on your heart, or else it wouldn't be there. So ask it. Give it to Him. We mentioned a little bit earlier uh, in the show um, that there, would be, there was a phrase that would be helpful later. Uh, and that phrase referred to the hands of the anointed. Now, Devaney uh, and I were discussing um, the other day in, in planning this show um, various directions that this topic on prayer could take. Uh, and th there were numerous directions that this could have taken. Um, however, she mentioned something to me that I thought was sort of a perfect round-out um, to the show, if you will. Uh, I, I thought that this idea was brilliant, was desperately needed uh, in our world and in our faith life today, and uh, I'm pretty much going to uh, let her tell you what she told me for this idea um, that, that she's had, all related to our topic today on, on prayer. In fact, there are several different directions that I wanted uh, to take this show uh, in other areas of expertise within Devaney's life, but for whatever reason, um, I guess the Lord and His providence wanted us to talk about prayer today, and the, this entire show topic came from this idea that she is going to present. So, Devaney, I'm going to give it to you. Take it away. Okay. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share this um, fairly quickly. It is an idea that's been on my heart for a while. So when I was at John Paul the Great, um, back in 2013-ish, um, I was studying what we call the new evangelization, which is basically a re-evangelization. Our Western world has forgotten who the person of Jesus Christ is. And so the church, since the Vatican Council, even before, going back to the 1900s, going back to Pope Pius X, has been calling for a re-knowing, a re-encounter with Jesus Christ. And we do that through prayer, yes. Uh, but also we need missionary activities. We need missionaries to go out and re-proclaim Jesus Christ because our Western world has forgotten who he is. And so the Vatican Council said the greatest need, it, the primary evangelization will always be going to the barbarians, the people who do not know Jesus Christ, and 
telling them about him. But most of the Western world knows him already and has apostatized. They've rejected this man. And they, or they think he's someone else. So they said all, John Paul II said, all of our energies need to be going toward a re-evangelization. So I was just on fire. Like, it all made sense. I was studying the Vatican Council. I was like, this is the message that we need to take. Like, I was born on the feast of St. Benedict. He's the patron of the Western world. I was born for the new evangelization. (laughs) This is what my life is supposed to be about. I have the store. I'm going to proclaim Jesus Christ. This is it. Let's get it out to the masses that we all need to pick up our, our, whatever we need to pick up and go out there to Jesus or rosaries and proclaim Jesus Christ. Go sit in front of the Eucharist, take it to the masses, tell them about Jesus, be witnesses of Jesus. And I was so passionate about this message. And then a couple years ago, this book uh, by Kathleen Beckman came out by Sophia Institute, and it's called Praying for Priest, the Center of the New Evangelization. And it had been on my heart for a very long time since I was, I'm a convert, and even fairly, like, rightly after I converted, there was this great desire on my heart to pray for priests. And I couldn't really articulate, I just knew, I, I just had to pray for priests. And Kathleen said that this desire and um, intention had been on her heart. And the fact that she was relating it back to the new evangelization was interesting because most people, when they talk about Second Vatican Council or the new evangelization, they're all about the layman, the pulse of the layman, like mm-hmm. we had said earlier. That's right. And that is given a, a, a favored place in the church. Like we, the church has encouraged all of us and told, reminded all of us that we are all called to holiness. But what I think I know I missed in my study, or perhaps our Lord put it off for me to more formally rediscover later, was the central role of the priest in the new evangelization. He is the bridge that every person must cross. If we truly believe in the sacraments and we truly believe the Eucharist and confession, he is the bridge that they must cross to encounter that person ordinarily and to receive that grace. So we really need to pray for our priests. We quoted St. John Christendom earlier. He is on prayer, and he has another quote that says, and this, a lot of people don't like it when I quote this, but we're going to say it because it quote articulates, it. Please quote it articulates um, the reality. And sometimes we have, I mean, we all need to put our lenses and realize that this is the reality. The roads of hell are paved with the skulls of priests. And it says mm. the lampposts, are the skeletons of bishops. Mm. Snaps, right? <laughs> John, John Chrysostom has always spoken very bluntly. It's and one of the reasons why I like him. He doesn't hold anything back. And I don't say, I love my fellow priests, and I'm so, like my, my, my brothers, and, and my brothers and my fathers, spiritual brothers, spiritual fathers, and I'm so profoundly thankful for everything that they've given me. And, because of that, I'm inspired with a love for them and, I guess, a realization, too. As St. John Vianney said, when anyone begins to attack religion, they start with the priest. Because the pre- religion, if you go back to the root of the word, means to give what is just to bind, to bind. To give what is justly due to God, to bind us to God. That's basically the sacraments. That's right. And if you're going to attack religion and what binds us to God... You're going to attack the sacrifice or the sacrifice itself. And the priest in the Mass is the sacrifice. Persona Christi. Alter Christus. If you can make us forget who the priest is, you can we're never where we won't have the Eucharist. And the Eucharist is the source and summit of everything. Mother Teresa, she talked to priests and she said, We need holy priests. We need holy priests. They truly are the center of the new evangelization. And so uh, the Congregation for the Clergy in 2007-2012 prepared this document, and it is reads like a tan book. It's like so awesome. It's all these stories. And it's women and men who sacrifice their lives and offer their lives in prayer for priests, and it tells um, the supernatural and, like, miracles that happened through their prayer and intercession that was revealed through private revelation or was revealed through all these women gathering once a week in Lou, Italy. And Lou, it is this tiny little village, but all the mothers getting together and praying this short little prayer for their children. And from that town, over 350 vocations came in the next generation. 
And everyone said, like, where, where are you from? And the vocation would say, Lou, Italy. And they'd be like, what's happening in Lou? And it was these women gathering to pray. They created vocations. They created, it through their prayers, our Lord heard them and called forth priests. It is so necessary for our times. And I believe he's speaking it on the hearts of so many women and men in our church. Um, and I love this quote by St. Gregory of Nazianza that helps us, reminds us who the priest is. He says, who then is the priest? He's the defender of the truth, who stands with angels, gives glory with archangels, causes sacrifices to rise to the altar on high, share Christ's priesthood, he refashions creation, restores it in God's image, recreates it for the world on high, and even greater is divinized and divinizes. That's the priest. And sometimes all we see is his humanity. <laughs> True. But we need to remind ourselves that he is Persona Christi and his office is the highest office in this world. And what, um, what is very high like that often gets the most persecution and the most difficulties. A high calling probably insinuates that there's going to be a lot of difficulties. Um, Father John Harden, he's like a, he was a priest of the last generation and so loved, and he says, but the pressures that are experienced by priests they are of such violence that no one else but a priest can understand. One saint after another has declared that the devil's principal target on earth is the Catholic priest. Priests need, Lord, how they need special graces from God. We ask, we pray then for priests. We should pray for priests and bishops because this has been the practice of the church since apostolic times. It's a matter of revealed truth and it's divine mandate. If the greatest mission of our times is to preach the person of Jesus Christ and to re-evangelize the West and for them to encounter this person. And if we truly believe as our faith tells us that the person that those who bring us this person is Jesus Christ, truly bodily like body, blood, soul, and divinity, Jesus Eucharist then we have to be praying for a priest. So I do want to encourage all those who are in the Memphis area that there's going to be a cynical um, that the congregation for the clergy called for, called the St. John Vianney Cynical. They asked for this to happen all over the world. And this is going to happen in our diocese at the cathedral every Thursday night starting October 5th, the uh, feast day of St. Faustina, who also had a great devotion to praying for priests as our Lord revealed to her the great need for that. Um, and it'll happen from... 6 to 7 will be silent adoration with confessions, and from 7 to 8 will be um, continued adoration but public devotions. And all of the public devotions will center around uh, praying for the sanctification of our priests and for our vocations in our diocese and throughout the world. And this has been entrusted to us from the church herself. So yes, pray ardently. And then also I want to encourage everyone uh, to pray for our priests. I'm going to echo her words. Um, of course, uh, something that she mentioned uh, that that was totally beautiful. Um, without priests, you know, there there is no Eucharist, the sole source and summit of the Christian life. Um, that that is incredibly profound. Now, mind you, we are, as the brothers of the Christian schools like to say, at the beginning of every prayer. We are always in the holy presence of God. This is true. Uh, however, the real presence, the entire being, body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus is present in the Eucharist. And so um, we do need to have these holy priests. Um, another, another thing that stuck out to me uh, when you were mentioning this is uh, how easy it is in our own humanity to only consider the humanity of the priests, I've, I've seen so much on Twitter lately, uh, various attacks of various bishops or priests or even Pope Francis for different things that they say or do, um, doctrinally or morally. Well, those things may very well be subject to uh, error at times, errors in judgment or errors in statements, but one thing that is without error uh, is the consecration that the priest uh, brings about in his, in his vessel of body. Uh, it is not the priest that actually consecrates the Eucharist. It is Jesus himself, because when, when the priest is exercising his faculties, uh, saying, saying the Mass, consecrating the Eucharist, he is 
as Devi said, in persona Christe, that is, in the person of Christ. It's not, not the priest, Father such and such, standing up there anymore. That's Jesus making more Jesus to give to Jesus' followers, mm-hmm. which is a very rudimentary way of saying it, but at the same time, this is uh, reality. This is what is occurring and so, uh, you know, Devaney's idea um, and um, something that yet yet another uh, marvelous accomplishment on her already long list of accomplishments that she's spearheading is, of course, um, this this cynical on prayer for priests. Um, so for those of you that are, again, in the Memphis area or that uh, might be passing through the Memphis area, please um, take to heart uh, the importance of attending uh, the cynical, which is uh, remind us of those those dates and times. I know you said that it starts October fifth at the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, which is on Central Avenue in Memphis. Uh, but w- when again is it recurring? Sure. So it'll happen every single Thursday when the Congregation for the Clergy asks for this, and they have it for, ask for it to happen all over the world. So if we have listeners in other parts of the United States or the world, um, look up Saint John Vianney Cynical. Um, or I think it's the Foundation of Prayer for Priests. Kathleen Beckman uh, is head of that, and there's just so many resources on there about the cynical, how to start a cynical. It can be public, like we're doing here in Memphis, or it can be private, held in your home amongst a group of men or women, um, praying for priests. So this isn't something that's confined to Memphis, or even certainly something that I've started, because it's not. This is just my simple response to what the, the church herself has called us to do. Um, and thanks be to God, there is a very good priest who is going to be present at the cynical and will participate as a priest praying for priests, which I'm sure is so pleasing um, to our Lord. So it's going to be at the cathedral, and it's going to be from 6 to 7 and 7 to 8 every Thursday. From 6 to 7, we'll also have confessions available, and it'll be silent adoration, where we'll have exposition at the beginning, so they'll bring our Lord out, and it's absolutely beautiful, guys. It's so beautiful the way Father does exposition. And then we will have silent adoration. We have... um, resources there for you that you can use to help you pray or you're welcome to bring your own and then we have he'll offer confessions and then at seven we'll begin public uh devotions praying for priests these are just beautiful beautiful prayers we're using um resources from the sodality of spiritual motherhood so if you want to google that sodality of spiritual motherhood we're also using the document released by the congregation for the clergy which can be found on the foundation praying for priests um website I think EWTN also has it. You can get it for free on there uh, if you just do a Google search. And then uh, we are also using Opus Angelorum's resources, uh, Chalice of Strength, which you can get at Opus Angelorum's website, and also Praying for Priests and Their Sanctification. So all these little booklets, beautiful prayers for priests, uh, ways to help you pray. Who doesn't? Um, I know I, I need help. St. <laughs> Teresa of Avila prayed with a book for 30 years. So. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, and so we'll have, those are some resources you can use to do this in your own home. If you want to come to the cynical with us, uh, where two or more are gathered, um, our Lord is present, and he truly will be present there in the Eucharist, additionally, um, more so. And then also, uh, what is that quote by 40 Days for Life, Anthony? It's First Corinthians. What is it? Um, oh, where two or more people are gathered, gathered in, in my, my name... name there um, I am and in their midst. Yes, but if they humble themselves and seek my face, I will turn and hear their prayer. He oh, says that. Indeed. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn and seek my face, I will hear their prayer. And so that is what we're hoping that this public cynical will be. It will be a gathering of people humbling themselves and praying for these men of God, um, that they can be what God has called them to be, and therefore we can save as many souls as possible, and then we can also glorify him whom we love so much. Indeed. Thank you, Devaney. Thank you very much for joining us uh, today on this episode of Eternal Insight, where we have been talking about prayer. Uh, What we want to do before we close is we want to remind all of you listening um, once again that uh, there will be further episodes of Eternal Insight available on the Anchor FM streaming platform as well as on podcasts hosted by Apple and Google Play. Follow us on Twitter at insight underscore eternal or email us questions or your own insights. And the email address is eternalinsightpm at secretary.net. For Eternal Insight, uh, we have been Anthony Marinese and Devaney Cooper. And we want to remind you again uh, that Devaney is the co-owner of St. Paul Book and Gift Store here in Memphis. 
And uh, if you are in the area and you need any resources on prayer or just about anything else, or just come talk to me. <laughs> indeed, indeed, come talk to her. You, you can already see she's a wellspring of, of knowledge and insight and also a very joyful individual. And you can visit her uh, in St. Paul Book and Gift at 5101 Sanderlin Avenue, Suite 111 in Memphis, and that's 38117. Again, for Eternal Insight, I'm Anthony Marinese. We thank you for listening today, and we hope you have the most blessed day.